Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today, you'll hear a sermon from Pastor Stan Yee. So without further ado, here he is. So uh, for today, um, I want to actually continue on the series that I've been going through uh, uh, with us uh, for the, I think, last week and then maybe a, a month before that. Uh, but this series is called Jesus Revealed. And it's really going through the letter of Ephesians uh, and just really talking about uh, really what, what Paul was encouraging the church in Ephesus about, was really trying to reveal who Jesus is and, and how that impacts our lives. And so for this morning, I just want to read for us uh, from the next part of the, from this letter of Ephesians, and that's really from chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And so that's chapter 1, 15 to 23. And if you want to follow along, I'll have it on the screen or on your phones if you want to, and this is from uh, the NASB uh, version. So let me read that for us. For this reason, I too have heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Do not cease giving thanks for you uh, while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father, as we go into your word, Lord, may you fill us with your presence. Um, Lord, no matter where we're at or how we're coming into this morning, God, I pray that your presence and your power would be real to us this morning. May you reveal yourself through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to let you guys know, this, these verses is a prayer that Paul is really sharing with the, the Ephesians. And in this prayer, you know, Paul is really kind of really riffing off of what he previously talked about. So if you weren't here with us last week, um, I just went over the previous verses. And really the whole point of Paul in those verses was really talking about how our story really kind of fits into God's big story. And so there's this big story that God is weaving, starting from Adam and Eve all the way until Jesus comes back. And our story, our individual stories, fit into God's big story. And so here, Paul is going into his prayer, and he's thankful. He's thankful for the Ephesians um, as, they, you know, as they believe, as they have faith in Jesus. 
And you know what's really interesting, and sometimes we don't see this, but as as we meditate on Scripture more and more, and we realize and we study it more of the context of it, this this church was was really a mix of Jewish and Gentiles and non-Jews, and in this ethnically divided church, you know, even you know, for some of us today, we we kind of see this that you know they say that Sunday mornings is one of the most ethnically divided mornings in the whole week. And really in that dividedness, Paul still has his heart to see this church become one in Christ. And it's just kind of amazing as, you know, just reflecting on this prayer and and just even thinking, and we'll get into this later about God's power, but that Paul sees this world in such a different way. And I just, as I've been studying his his letter and and other parts of it, it's it's just really amazing and just wanted to invite you guys too to really invite you to see the world as Paul sees it. That there is hope in God's power, even in sometimes in a very divided, divided world. So for this morning, though, I, I really actually want to talk about power, power. And for to get us helping to think about power, I actually have uh, this this slide here. <laughs> okay, so some of these people you may recognize, and some some of you guys may not recognize. Uh, so what I want us to think about here, I'll first go through who the, each of these people are, and then I'll explain what I'd like us to do. So A, the person A, this is uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, I am not a soccer fan, so I do not know this guy. But the reason why he's up here, <laughs> yeah, I know, sorry. It's a, but I, I, I was looking for, okay, I'll explain this. But the reason why he's up here is because he has... 581 million followers on Instagram. 581 million. That's halfway to a billion. That's, <laughs> that's insane to think about how many followers this guy has. All right? So that's why he's up here. Because think about the influence. Like, think about like, if you put up a photo on Instagram and you have 581 million people see it. That is crazy. That's crazy. So, okay. So this is a picture of power, at least in my mind, I think, of, of somebody that has this many followers. Uh, B, you don't, you don't need any introduction. You know who that guy is. That, that is our president of the United States, Joe Biden. And, you know, of course, we understand why he has a lot of power. And then C, uh, well, you can kind of see physically that he's a, he's a pretty big guy. This guy, his name is Hathor Borgenson. I don't think I pronounced that right. But anyways, Hathor Borgenson and he holds a record for being the strongest man in the world. So he won a lot of strongest man competitions. And then finally, D, we all know this guy too, Elon Musk. This is Elon Musk. Yeah, president of Tesla. Uh, I mean, he's looking for a new CEO, or he has someone for Twitter, so if anyone's interested <laughs> in that position. Anyways, you know, he's, he's a famous guy. So the reason I have these four up is because I want us to think about which of these four do you think is the most powerful? Which of these four is the most powerful? I'll give you guys a moment to think. Okay. A. Who thinks A is the most powerful? Raise your hands. Anybody? No takers? Really? Wow. I thought at least people, 50, 50, 581 million followers on Instagram. Okay. All right. That's okay. So nobody? Okay. B. How many people think B is the most powerful? President of the United States. Okay, all right, about a third, third of the people. 
Okay, C, the strongest man in the world physically. Anybody? Yeah, there's one guy. <laughs> two, two. Yeah, that, that's, that's my kind of thing. You know, I think that, that's pretty cool. Um, and, and D, Elon Musk. Elon Musk? Okay, a fourth. Okay. Wow, okay. So we, we still think the president of the United States is most powerful. That makes sense? That makes sense? Okay, so the reason why I share this is because as we think about power, I, I want us to also read Paul's prayer in, in light of that, in light of us thinking about power and, and ultimately thinking about God's power in relation to how we think about power. So to get into the, you know, this, this prayer a little bit more, we see here, as I mentioned before, in verse 16, Paul is not ceasing in his thanksgiving for them, right? Because, because they are a picture of God's story unfolding. And then not only does he thank God for them, but he also is asking God to give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And there's that word again, revelation. So that word is going to keep popping up over and over again throughout the letters. But this is really, again, Paul's desire for them to grow in this understanding of who Jesus is, this revelation and knowledge of him. And that looks like, as he talks about here in verse 18, like as they open the eyes of their hearts, that he says three things. The first thing is, what is the hope of his calling? The second thing is, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance of the saints? And the third thing is, what is the boundless greatness of his power to those of us who believe? I'm not going to talk about the first two. I'm just going to focus on that third one, this boundless greatness of God's power. The reason why is this, because for the rest of the verses, Paul is going to expound upon this, this one phrase here, this boundless power of God's. And so I'm just going to break it down into three aspects, three aspects I think that really impact us today about God's power. And the first aspect is this, is what does God's power look like? What does God's power look like? And so in verses 19b to 20, Paul says this. He says, you know, these in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which is the previous three things, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in the heavenly places. You know, and this picture of God's power as him raising Jesus from the dead. You know, I think a lot of us are familiar with that phrase, right? Jesus' resurrection. But I think what's important to understand is that this is a picture of God's power. The same power that, Jesus, that God raised Jesus from the dead is the power that we can actually experience, experience today. And I think sometimes it seems so abstract that I was trying to think of a way to really kind of help it bring it back to be more tangible. And I wish I had a picture of this, but just imagine with me. I know imaginations aren't really, uh, it's hard to imagine things these days, but imagine with me a houseplant. And uh, I received a houseplant from our very own Amanda Kim when I first moved into my office. It was a really nice houseplant. It was, I mean, not as pretty as this, and thank you, Amanda, for getting these uh, Mother's Day flowers. But it was just a, it's a regular houseplant about this big. And uh, for those of you who know that I, I, I tend to focus a lot on things, and so over time, this houseplant died. 
<laughs> Flat out, straight up, just died. Just, just withered. I, that's why I wish I took a picture, but maybe I was just too ashamed. To just, just straight up, this, yeah, it was, it was terrible. And I apologize to Amanda as a gift. And so I brought it home, you know, this, this dead house plant, and I kind of left it near our fireplace. I was like, I don't know what to do with it. And, um, you know, Faye was like, oh, well, we'll, she'll try to water it, and it didn't help. But, but what was really amazing is Faye's mom came to visit us, and she saw this dead house plant. She's like, well, why aren't you doing anything with this? I'm like, well, we should throw it away. She's like, no, no, I'll take care of this. Don't worry. I ha- I, yeah, I got this. And she took that dead house plant and she raised it back to life. It was amazing. It was amazing. I don't know how she did that. Like, she kind of stripped off the dead leaves and did something. I don't know. Some, maybe some magic words. I, no, sorry. I just, just kidding. But Faye's mom was amazing. She raised that dead house plant to life. And I think that's just a great picture of that. Um, you know, like, this is, this is why, going back to this picture... I don't know if you guys remember this, but in Lent, we had this theme called Beauty from Ashes. Um, and, you know, just thank you for those that participated in sharing your stories about God's beauty in ashes. And that is, again, a personal picture of what it means for God's power to work, his resurrection power. He can take dead things to life. And I think that's why it's so important for us today to remember that. I feel like many of us struggle a lot of times with, we see things in our lives that we think are dead, that we think there's no more hope. But I'm here today just to share with you that there is still hope. There is still hope in God's power, his boundless power, his greatness power, more powerful than the President of the United States, that he can take dead things, and make them alive again. So that's the first aspect. The second aspect is this, is what does God's power feel like? What does God's power feel like? And we see this in verse 21, and Paul shares this. He says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, for every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And this is, he's talking about seating Jesus far above all these things, all this authority, dominion, every name that is named. And we really get this picture, and I I love this visual, this visual of Jesus being on high, right, above everything. And really, in that sense, it's like Jesus talking about his authority, that his authority and power is above all things. And I think, really, as we think about that, how does that impact us today is, is really, as we think about power, is why do we, as individuals, why do we seek power? Why do we seek power? And the reason I ask that is because as we think about that, that impacts how we view Jesus' power, his authority over all things, right? And as I was thinking about that, you know, I, I know for some of us, you know, some of us might be tempted. We, we, we like to feel powerful. We like to feel power over people. We like to think that we're like Jesus, kind of over everybody and over things. I know some of us are like that, but, I mean, and, and you know, no judgment there. Uh, but, but I think for the majority, though, the majority of us don't really see power that way. 
Right? We don't see it as me lording over people. I actually do, though, think that a lot of us seek power because we actually want to feel safe. That safety and security is a reason why we seek power. And I think that's understandable because, I mean, if we look at the world around us, right, there's a lot of things that make us feel unsafe, not just physically, but even emotionally, mentally. And, you know, and we, we, we all really, for various reasons, seek to be, feel, feel more safe, seek power for that reason. And one simple way is just this. It's like I was just thinking about this, and I remember hearing in this podcast, so I'm going to talk about this. But, you know, a lot of us, you know, we, we have rings, right? Rings on our doors, right? Those, those little devices that have, you know, just, you can see who's on the front door. And if you think about it, I, I just remember, so, so last night I was, you know, we, we were over at someone's house and celebrating someone's birthday, and a lot of people there were in their 20s. And it's just really funny um, how we talk about how things are so different because I'm a Gen Xer. I'm in, I'm in my 40s. I'm not going to say which 40, <laughs> but uh, around that range. I'll just, I'll just say 40s. And I think everyone, like right in this middle section, I can see all you guys. You're right, right here with me. But we were sharing about this that, you know, back in the day when we were kids, right, I remember my dad had a station wagon, put a big mattress on, in the back seat, and we just took off to Colorado. And I just slept on this mattress with no seatbelts. You know, we just... Messing with my sisters the whole way ride. My dad driving 70 down the highway. It was awesome. It was great. Now, nowadays, no way. No way. Right? You got seatbelts. You got all sorts of safety devices for your kids. I mean, I think, I think just thinking about that, just, I was even thinking about it, even with rings, right? Like doorbells. You, when someone rang the doorbell, back in the day, I remember as a kid, like as just like a seven-year-old running up, opening the door, so excited. Who is this? And now as an adult, someone rings my doorbell, I'm like, I'm just, no, t- turn off the lights. No one's home. So it's, just be quiet. He'll just go away. You know, it's so different. Such a different environment, such a different culture we live in these days. And so for a lot of us, we, we seek power, really, and not in this big sense, but just even in our own sense, in our own circles, because of safety. Because of safety. And that's not necessarily... A bad thing. But I think what really, as we interact, as we think about this, is in some ways, sometimes when we seek power, when we seek safety, does that become an ultimate thing? And so Tim Keller makes this point in his book, Counterfeit Gods. And he says this He says, We think idols are bad things, but that is almost never the case. The greater the good, the more likely we are expected that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the very best things in life. And I share this because even this week we were at, I was at an elders meeting and we were kind of talking about this in a different kind of context, but it just really struck me that safety is a good thing. I think it's good that we all wear seatbelts now. I think that's good that we can see who's at our front doors with our rings. But when that becomes the ultimate thing, when that becomes a thing that drives our whole life, when that's when all we do is we seek for that, that's why we use our power, 
I think that's when it replaces God and God's power. And I think, just as a reminder for us this morning, that when we seek that kind of security and safety as the ultimate thing, that all really is, is replacing God's place in our life. And I share this not as just, up, I'm up here and you guys are down there. I, I really actually had to wrestle with this in my own life. You know, uh, I, I've shared this before here and there, but I don't know if everyone's heard this, but, I, you know, I only came on staff as a pastor in 2020. So uh, this, is, this is my third year, and uh, amazing three years. It's been awesome. <laughs> Global pandemic. Just kidding. Sorry. Did not write this in the sermon. I don't know why I'm saying that, sharing that. Um, <laughs> anyways, back, back, I actually worked a long time in IT, I worked about 13, well, 15 years in IT, two different places. And as, uh, as we were asked, Faye and I were asked, as they asked me to come on staff here at, at Harvest, you know, I, I wrestled with that decision. I mean, there was a many different reasons, but one of the main reasons I wrestled with that decision is because I was going to get 40% less <laughs> on my annual salary than I was making uh, in IT. Um, and, you know, it's crazy. As um, You know, I, I think growing up, I didn't really have to struggle with money. Uh, some of my close friends, call, they call me like a trust fund baby because <laughs> my parents saved a lot of money for my college tuition. I'm very grateful for that. You know, thank you to my parents that they could do that. But I, as we were going through and talking through this decision about me coming on staff, somehow just that, that idea that I would be making that much less really, really bothered me. It really did. And I, and I was trying to just understand that and why that was. Why was I so bothered by this? It's not that, and, and just to let you guys know, Harvest, you know, they're very generous with what they pay us as pastors, our salaries. Like, it's a livable wage, and that's not always true in a lot of churches. And so, like, there was this dissonance. Like, what was it? And as I was praying and wrestling and things like that, I think it was just this realization that I felt insecure. I felt that if I didn't have this nicer salary that I was getting at my previous job, that somehow, like, Faye and I were going to become destitute, that we, you know, like, just sort of catastrophizing in my own mind the worst-case scenarios of, like, wow, what's going to happen to us? And I, I really believe through that process that God was trying to show me that I somehow made my annual salary, my financial security, the ultimate good in my life, that that was what's going to keep Faye and I safe through the ups and downs and through all these things. And I'd like to say that that's all kind of gone away, and here I'm standing, a new man, you know? But that's not true. That's not, <laughs> that's not true. I mean, you know, and, it, and it's, it's, it's a journey. It really is a journey about as we look at sometimes, you know, some months we are short and some months we're doing well, and then the panic sometimes rises again. But I, I think through it all, I know that God is still faithfully working. And I, you know, and I am here to even testify that, you know, like my, all my catastrophizing and all the thoughts of the worst-case scenarios never came to pass. They never did. And so I just wanted to share with you guys that 
that God's power is trustworthy, that we can trust in his power, that even as we look at our own lives, and maybe it's not financial security, maybe it's some other type of thing that you feel like your life really needs in order for it to, for you to be well. But are we making that thing more than God? Is that the ultimate thing that we're seeking with the power that was given to us? Or can we trust in God's power? Can we trust in it? So going back to that question, what does God's power feel like? I feel like a lot of times when we seek this ultimate thing, it really brings into the sense of a lot of times worry and stress and anxiety. And I've been there that myself too. And I really believe that if we are able to experience God's power in a more real way, that there is freedom, freedom found in God's power, that we don't have to hang on so tightly to the things that we think we need in our lives, that we can let go, at least let God take care of those things. So that's what God's power feels like. The last aspect is what does God's power do? What does God's power do? And Paul talks about this in verse 22. He says this. He says, he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things to the church. And as we read this, I know that words like subjection, authority, even power, those words in this context, in our cultural moment today, it's hard. It's difficult. It, it, it really sometimes causes people to feel angry or frustrated or maybe even wanting to withdraw and give up. But I think the reason why that we feel this way is because we see how authority and power and subjection is being used in unhealthy ways, in, in a, even abusive ways. But I'm here to say that Jesus isn't like that. That Jesus doesn't use his power or authority in those ways. He isn't a dictator or he isn't someone that's going to lord it over us, his power. But his rule is based on humility and this desire to serve others. And Paul, in another letter, and this one is to a different church in Philippi, Paul says this about Jesus's, uh, like where Jesus is coming from. He says this, he says, think of yourselves the way Jesus Christ thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. Became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredible, incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, the crucifixion. And so this is the kind of person that Jesus is. 
that he lived his life on this earth that way, and he still lives out that way as he prays for us at the right hand of God. And I think this is the example for us to really reflect on, not necessarily even just for us to live that way, but to realize that that's the kind of rule, that's the kind of authority that Jesus exercises. A rule, an authority, a power that's humble. That's humble. And I think it's hard for us to wrap our minds around because we see so many bad examples of that around us. And we experience bad examples of that sometimes in our daily lives. But Jesus' rule isn't like that. It's not like that at all. And so I hope that that picture helps paint for us this understanding of that we can trust in his power, that we can trust in Jesus' authority, that we can trust. And sometimes when we hear about how, you know, the Bible and Scripture talks about how to live or these kind of things, that it's trustworthy because ultimately Jesus has our best interests in mind. And this is why I think it's so important for us because for many of us, there is always this struggle that who do we trust in our lives to tell us how to live? Who do we trust? And I ask that rhetorically because all of us are going to say it's me. Not me, not me up here, but yeah, I mean, you know what I mean. Like us as individuals, we trust ourselves the most about how to live, about who who has ultimate say in how we do things. And I think when we think that way, it really leads to this place of that it's on us then, on ourselves, to be responsible for how our lives are, even in the current state, or how they'll be. And that is a lot of pressure. That is a lot of pressure. And I, and I feel like God is really trying to speak to us today that we don't have to put that pressure on ourselves, that it's not on us to have to figure everything out. I just even thinking today, like, I, I don't know how many of our younger guys had to, you know, are thinking about college or thinking about applications of where, where to go. But I just remember that time and thinking that, okay, this one decision is going to define the rest of my life. And those of us that are older realize that that's not really completely true. You know, but the pressure that sometimes we think that we place on ourselves, that this me deciding which college to go to, and it's an important decision, don't get me wrong, that that decision to which college to go to or what to do after high school, if, if it's something else, that that's going to define the rest of our life. And that's on you or me to figure that out. But it's not. It's our decision, but God, we can trust that God sees us and that we can trust in his power to help us understand and make those decisions and those around us, friends and family and other people as well. And so my invitation for us this morning is not to say that we don't need to work hard or that, you know, that we don't have to, we can make these decisions willy-nilly about our college or where to work or decisions about family. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that 
who do we actually trust in these things? Is it only us? Is it only our way of seeing things? Or can we trust in God's understanding, his wisdom, his power? So I just want us to reflect on that more this week and you know, going forward. So I just want to really you know, close our time together this morning and really just even thinking about these different aspects of God's power through, through one-word lenses. And I hope that this is something that you guys can take away with this week as we think about these things. But really, the way that we can think about this is God's power, first of all, God's power can bring hope. Right? It can bring hope. Kind of like what I mentioned earlier. For those of us that are struggling with things that we feel like are dead in our lives, that things that we feel like there is no hope, that we look at our life each day, each week, and it's just the same thing over and over again, that God's power can bring real change to those situations if we trust in him. And there is hope in that. Or if we have made something in our life the ultimate thing, if it's replaced God for some reason, and, and that can be real subtle, just even as I shared. I never even realized that financial security was such an important thing in my own life. But sometimes it just sneaks up on us. But we don't have to let it stay there like that. That there is actually real freedom freedom and God's power. That if we trust in him, if we trust that he is the one that is truly in control above all other authorities and dominions, then we can rest in that power and that we don't have to keep trying to figure, stress out and figure out what we have to do to, to really figure out that ultimate thing that we're chasing after. And then finally, God's power makes us humble. It makes us humble. I know that humility is not a value these days, that that's not something that any of us really want. But I think it's needed. I really do. I really feel that humility in these days is needed because not in the sense of that we're supposed to be humble as Christians, that this is the way, you know, as we talked about, about Jesus. But that through humility, through this sense of realizing that God is so much more awesome than we realize, that as we live that, there is true joy that can be experienced in that. I mean, how tiring is it to try to be awesome all the time, you know? I mean, I, I don't know. It's just just that thought of, like, having, like, especially think, if you think about it, man, like, how many of you today came to service and felt like I had to be a certain way? I have to show a certain face. I have to smile and say hi. And someone, if someone asks us how I'm doing, I would just say, I'm doing awesome. Thank you for asking. <laughs> how many of us had to feel like we came into this room, put on the mask, and this is, this is I'm doing great, doing awesome. And inside, that is not the case. 
How many of us have feel that way, even in this moment? This is why humility, this is why really acknowledging God's power is so important because we don't have to put on those masks. We don't have to come in and pretend that everything is okay. This is what God is inviting us to. And it takes humility. It's, it's humbling. It's humiliating sometimes to acknowledge that I'm not doing okay. It's hard. It is. But this is what God calls us to because in that, again, there's freedom and there's hope. And this is what I want for all of us, including myself, to truly experience that freedom, that hope in God. Man, there's so much more to say. But, yeah, I just, I feel like at this time, it just, let's, let's pause. Let's, let's just feel like this sense of that the Spirit is asking us to just quiet our own hearts in this moment. I feel like God is really trying to speak to each of us. So let's invite him. Let's invite him to speak to us. And I can just ask the praise team can come up and, and just play some music as we enter this time to re- of reflection and response. So let's open our hearts to what God has to say for us right now. Father, as we sit in your presence, Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know where we've been. You know where we'll be going. And Father, I ask that you would show us your power your boundless greatness, power, that, Lord, that we can trust in you to use your power in our lives to change things that we think can never change, to help us take off the mask that sometimes we feel like has now become a part of who we are. Father, may you show us your power today at this moment. Show us your power that we can be your people and that we can give all ourselves to you not just a part, not just those small moments here and there, but all of ourselves to you. Because you are worthy. You are worth it. So Lord, may you change our hearts in this moment to do that. And we ask that, Lord, as you speak to us, Lord, help us to listen. Help us to have open hearts, open eyes, open ears to see what you're doing and to follow 
and to follow you. Father, thank you that you do not leave us alone, that we don't have to figure everything out ourselves, but that we can follow you and trust you and that you will lead us into life, life that is real and true. And Lord, we give all of ourselves, all of this, all of our time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.